Well, about 20 years ago, when Jill and I lived in Sydney, we went down to the National Park for a picnic down south of Sydney. And I parked in an area that was marked no parking. So when we got back, there was a ticket on the car window, which I wasn't real happy about. And being an invincible 25-year-old, I ticked that box on the back of the ticket that says, I elect to have this matter heard in court. Can I just say, don't tick that box, okay? (laughs) I thought I could argue my way out of it. So I was summoned to the Sutherland Courthouse. The day of the hearing came around and I attended the Sutherland Courthouse. And when I arrived, I had to register at the front desk. There was a clerk at the front desk and I had to fill in a form. The first thing they asked me after name and details was, what was my plea? I just said to the clerk, what's this mean? He says, well, you have to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. I didn't know what to write. The clerk said, well, the the ticket says parking in a no-standing zone. Was the car there or not? I said, yeah, the car was there. He says, well, probably you're going to write guilty. I didn't even know I had to choose a plea. I was just practising all those excuses in my head about why the parking sign shouldn't be there and why I should get let off. But it all sort of came to this uncomfortable, grinding halt when I was faced with this reality. What's your plea? Guilty or not guilty? I said to the clerk, you'd better write guilty. Because I was, I was guilty. I was parked in the no-standing zone. Now, after the, over the last two weeks in the Book of Romans, if you've been here, we've all been confronted with the uncomfortable reality that we are all guilty before God. We are without excuse. One day, you will stand before the God of this universe and he will judge whether you have lived perfectly, whether you have obeyed him fully. What will you plead? Will your plea be guilty or not guilty? Romans has been saying it doesn't matter how good or bad we are compared to other people. We all need to plead guilty because we all are guilty. And until you get that, until you actually get the reality that we are guilty before God, the gospel, the good news that Romans is about, won't make sense. And well done for hanging in there because today we actually do get to the good news. Today we get to the gospel. It's the good news that we've been waiting for since Romans 1. It's the good news that Jesus has done something to deal with our guilt. Jesus has done something to deal with our sin. In today's passage, we find out that there is a way to be right with God And it's not based on our performance. It's not based on the law. It's not based on our being good enough. Let's have a look. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The key there is Jesus Christ. Jesus has done something, and if we take hold of what he's done, if we trust 
what he has done, then we will be made right with God. And just to make sure that we're really clear on this, even though Paul has just spent two chapters reminding us that we don't deserve this, he throws it in again. This is not about what we do. Verse 23. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's just a reminder of the last two weeks of Romans. It's not about how good or bad you are compared to other people. None of us make it. But the good news, verse 25, all have sinned, sorry, sorry, verse 24, and are justified. Now, justified is a beautiful word. It means that we are treated as if we are not guilty. In other words, if we trust Jesus, we are let off. We are justified. And look at the very next word that follows after justified in verse 23. We are justified freely. In other words, we don't have to pay any fine, anything at all. There's nothing that we have to do to pay God back. We don't have to go and say a hundred Hail Marys. This is not karma where somehow the bad that we've done in the past will come back and get us somehow. No, this is free. God has justified us freely. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how bad we've been. If we come to Jesus, we are let off completely for free. Now, if you've been here for the last two weeks of Romans, where we've been thinking about this mess this world has been, this, will, this is fantastic news. What a relief that God has done something that means we can be right with him. Although the question now that Paul raises in Romans is, how can this possibly work? How can God just let us go free? When I was sitting in that courtroom 20 years ago and I had entered my plea of guilty, can you imagine if the judge came in and he said, oh, it's okay, It's only a parking fine. You can go. Don't worry about it. I mean, I'd have been very happy if the judge said that, but it would be wrong, isn't it? Wouldn't it? Because I was guilty. How can a guilty people just walk free? Because that would not be right. A judge is not in a courtroom to let guilty people off just because they're his friend or he or she likes them. Now a judge is there to work out if they're guilty or not and then punish them appropriately. And the worse the crime is, the more we feel that sense of justice, don't we? So by now in the book of Romans, we should be starting to sense a bit of a problem here. Because if we really are as bad as Romans has been saying, how can God just let us off? Now, a lot of people have this idea that God will just let people off because that's what God's like. This is the idea that Andrew talked about last week from Romans 3. Do you remember Mick Dundee from Crocodile Dundee saying, me and God, you know, we're mates, God will let me off? The problem is we would not expect that of any other judge, would we? I mean, if I was caught shoplifting a TV from JB Hi-Fi here, and I went to court, 
and I knew the judge. And because the judge and I were mates, the judge said, oh, Wayne, it's you, great. You can go. We're mates, you know. It wouldn't be right for me to um, send you to jail. That would not be right. And when we hear of a judge letting someone off just because they're friends, we have a word for that. It's called corruption. Okay, it's wrong. It's injustice. We hate it when a judge lets people off when they're guilty in real life. And that's the problems here in Romans 3. Even if God wanted to let us off, how could he and still be fair? Because he's promised the the punishment for sin is death. death. The wages of sin is death. So it's this problem that Paul starts to answer here in verse 24. Let's... um, See what he says. Let's pick it up again. We'll backtrack a bit to verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. Now look at this next bit. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That word redemption means a payment. When you redeem something, you You buy it back. You pay the price. See, it's not that there was no payment. It's not that God said, sin doesn't matter, okay? I'll let it go. Off you go. No, the fine was paid, but not by us. Our fine was paid for by Jesus. Jesus paid the price for our rejection of God. Redemption. Paul explains that a bit more in verse 25. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Now, here's Paul is picking up image from the Old Testament. Um, For verse 25 there, hands up if your Bibles have sacrifice of atonement, the wording exactly. Hands up if they have something else. A few. You know, people struggle with how to actually translate this word. Different Bibles have different things. So NIV might have sacrifice of atonement, ESV and others have propitiation. The word that they're trying to translate literally means the lid of a box. Okay, so that doesn't work. God presented Jesus as the lid of the box. It doesn't really work. But what it's talking about, and so that's why they put sacrifice of atonement or propitiation, they are talking about the lid of the box that was in the centre of the temple in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant. And that was really at the centrepiece of the sacrifice system in the Old Testament. Under the Old Testament law, when you had done wrong, the priest on your behalf could bring a sacrifice to the temple, an animal, and he would put the blood on the atonement cover, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, he would sprinkle the blood there right in the, symbolically in the presence of God. And through that sacrifice, Israelites could be forgiven. Which sounds a bit weird because how can killing an animal forgive you? It can't. But it was there in the Old Testament to point forward to the sacrifice that Jesus would make. 
Okay, that's what it means when it says now a righteousness apart from the law to which the law and the prophets testify. Okay, they were looking forward to this. The Old Testament sacrifices were looking forward to the sacrifice that Jesus would make when he died on the cross. The blood of an animal sprinkled on a box in the Old Testament can't turn away God's anger. But Jesus' death can. And the reason this passage is now starting to talk about sacrifices and turning away God's anger is because that's the very problem we were thinking about back in Romans 1. Do you remember? We reject our creator God. Even though we know there's a God, we ignore him. We replace him with other things and he is angry about that. And we need to have that relationship with God fixed up and that's what God did through Jesus. Jesus took on himself God's anger and punishment that should have been on us. Our fine was paid for by Jesus. Which is incredible. Because that means we can start all over again. We can go back and we can live life as it was meant to be lived in the first place. We can live as God's friends instead of God's enemies. That's fantastic news. Wonderful news. But after Paul announces this news in Romans 3, the first thing that he does is he does not get excited about how good it is. He doesn't talk about how wonderful it is for us. Now, we will get to that in Romans 5. Paul will just get real excited about what it means now to have peace with God. But that's not where Paul goes immediately now. The first thing Paul talks about after he talks about Jesus' death on the cross is he wants to show us not what it teaches us about about ourselves, but what it teaches us about God. As wonderful as it is that we can be right with God, Paul wants us to see something bigger. That is the fairness of God. He wants us to see that when God does all of this, he is acting fairly with justice. Now, that's probably not your first reaction. You might think the death of Jesus is there to show us God's love. And it is. And we'll get to that in Romans 5. But Romans 3 here doesn't even mention God's love. Romans 3 says that the cross is there to demonstrate God's justice. Have a look at verse 25. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Verse 26. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just, fair, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, God wants us to know that when he justified us, when he made us right through Jesus, it was fair. It was right. It wasn't a fudge. He was acting with justice. I don't know if you remember back to the uh, 2004 Athens Olympic Games, but Australia's best bet in the swimming was Ian Thorpe. Ian Thorpe was at Homebush Stadium for the Australian qualifying races to see who would swim for Australia at the Olympics. So here he was in the qualifying heats for the 400 metres, 
But before the starting gun went off, Ian Thorpe fell in. Anyone remember when that happened? Now, it looks funny, doesn't it? But that actually meant instant disqualification. The FINA rules say any swimmer starting before the starting signal has been given shall be disqualified. They are the rules of the International Swimming Federation. So they restarted the race without Ian Thorpe. Grant Hackett came first, Craig Stevens came second. They qualified to represent Australia in the Athens Olympics and Thorpey was out. Which was pretty disappointing because everyone wanted Ian Thorpe to represent Australia because he was Australia's best hope and everyone loved him. But that, they were the rules, that was the law. You can't just go bending the rules because you like the swimmer. That would not be fair. Okay? That would be favouritism. The referee who disqualified Ian Thorpe, he said this in an interview. It doesn't matter who is on the blocks, they are just a person. To me, it was just the athlete in lane four who started before the starting signal. It was the only thing I could do. Justice, fairness demanded that Ian Thorpe be disqualified. It didn't matter how much people loved Thorpe. It didn't matter how much they wanted him to go to Athens to represent Australia. You can't just break the rules when you want to. Now, about two weeks later, something very surprising happened. Craig Stevens, he was the fellow who did qualify to go to Athens, he announced that he was stepping aside. He gave up his right to swim in the race, which meant that the Australian swimming team could choose someone to replace him, and they chose Ian Thorpe. So Ian Thorpe did go to Athens, and he won the 400-metre gold for Australia, and the rules weren't broken. Craig Stephen gave up an Olympic spot for Ian Thorpe. See what happened there? Justice demanded that Thorpe be disqualified. But Craig Stevens, the real hero, gave up his right to race so that Ian Thorpe could go instead. And so the rules were kept. And yet, by an incredible act of love and sacrifice, Ian Thorpe was allowed to race even though he had been disqualified. But someone had to pay the price. Craig Stevens didn't get to go to Athens. That's not a bad illustration, I think, of what's happening in Romans 3. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, God's law is kept. Sin is punished. Justice is done. And yet, because of an incredible act of love, in the sacrifice of Jesus we get to go unpunished. Yes, we see God's love in Jesus, but he also wants us to be amazed at his justice, his rightness. God did this to demonstrate his justice. God wants you to know that he can be trusted. God wants you to know that everything he does is good, and right, even when it costs him. 
It's a very short passage this morning that we're looking at, but it is the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ, the all-powerful king who we heard about in Romans 1, gave his life as a sacrifice so that if we trust him, we can be made right with God. Now, next week, we're going to think a bit more about what faith is and what it actually means to trust in Jesus. The entire chapter 4 is all about faith and what faith is and how we have faith and what it looks like. But today, I think there's really two very simple lessons for us from Romans 3. And the first one is this. It's that God is fair. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you put your trust in Jesus... You really are justified, freely, by his grace. God looks at you, he looks at your sin, and then he looks at Jesus and what Jesus has done, and then he says, if you trust Jesus, your sin is gone, paid in full by my son, and you can go free. And the way God did it proves that he is completely just. He doesn't bend the rules. He will not let a single person off unless their sin is taken by Jesus. And there is not one sin that God will let you off without it being paid in full by Jesus, which is what he did on the cross. Which means if you're a Christian, every one of your sins is paid for. Every single thing that you've done wrong, it's gone. And when you stand before God on Judgment Day, he won't be able to pull out a piece of paper and say, what about this one? It's not as if he shoved them under the carpet or hid them at the back of the drawer and they're going to fall out one day. They are gone forever. Dealt with by Jesus. And God is fair. God is just. They can never be brought out against you again. They are gone. And if you ever doubt that, you just need to look at the cross. If you have times in your life where you feel, how could God ever forgive me? Look at the cross. That's how God can forgive you or maybe you've got things in your past that you just you just can't forget God's forgotten them but when you remember them you feel dirty or you doubt that God could love you if you ever doubt that you can be right with God look at the cross because if you are a follower of Jesus that's where your sin was dealt with forever. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Now, that's not the only application of today's talk, I think. Romans 3 is not just aimed at people who are feeling bad about themselves when they shouldn't be. I think it's also aimed at people who are feeling good about themselves when they shouldn't be. And by good about themselves, I mean think that they're better than other people. Have a look at verse 27. 
Verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No. But on that of faith. See, if we were saved by how good we were, then we could boast. But we've seen that none of us matches up to God's standards. That's not how we're saved. We're saved through Jesus. It is impossible to come away from this passage thinking that you are better than anyone else. How stupid, how foolish would it be as a Christian to boast? Because boasting is just talking yourself up and we have absolutely nothing to talk up. Nothing. We did not contribute a thing to being made right with God. We brought nothing to the table except our sin. Nothing. We deserved God's judgment. And that's what we did when we became a Christian, didn't we? We confessed to God our terrible need and we asked him for forgiveness. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. There is no room for spiritual superiority where you think that you're better than someone else because you've been a Christian a long time now. Or you help out a lot at church. Or you come along more often than other people. Or you're running a ministry or you're leading a small group or whatever. If you ever in any way think that you deserve a better place in church than someone else, you have not understood the gospel. We can't boast. There's nothing to boast about. And so the very same gospel that lifts us out of our despair and gives us hope, that very gospel reminds us that we've got nothing to boast about except what Jesus has done for us on the cross. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, after the news that we've been hearing in Romans over the last two weeks, what a relief. What great news it is that there is a way for us to be made right with you. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when he died on the cross, he did that as our substitute. He died in our place. Father, thank you that if we have If we trust him, if we take hold of what he's done for us, everything we have ever done wrong is paid for at the cross. And so, Father, we pray that this morning we would leave here with humility, knowing that it's nothing we have done to earn this. But at the same time, we pray that we would leave here with confidence, knowing that we can be right with you, And that our sin is completely forgiven. And that you are completely good and fair 
when you do that. So thank you, Father. We praise you for your justice shown in Jesus. Amen.